We're talking about the subject of the fear of the Lord. Now, that may be a new uh, topic for some, um, but it's a biblical one nevertheless. It's in the Bible. And no, it's not just an Old Testament topic. The New Testament talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. It's not necessarily a popular topic in the church today, um, but it is very popular in the Bible. And so um, me and Kaylin have kind of spearheaded this conversation. I'm so blessed by Kaylin's contributions to this series. Um, and what a communicator. Uh, just an extraordinary human. Uh, Kaylin, I don't know where you are if you're here, but thank you so much for your contribution. I'm going to try to live up to his sermon last week. I'm pretty sure I'll do okay, but we'll see. Um, we're, we're kind of taking our cue, our, our, our conversation out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and, and we don't want to uh, repeat a lot of stuff that we've already talked about. So I'd encourage you, it feels like you're coming into a conversation midway. Uh, go to our website, hear the other sermons so that you can get up to speed. Um, but we've titled this sermon series, The Conclusion When All Has Been Heard. And if you're familiar with the text in Ecclesiastes, you, you know that uh, the rest of the verses, um, uh, the conclusion when all has been heard is to fear God and keep his commandments. And so we've been kind of getting into that. What does that look like in 2022? Like, you know, what does it look like for a church, like adhering and walking in as the early church did? Actually, you see in the book of Acts, the fear of the Lord. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thrilled about the conversation. I'm happy to go where not many churches go. Uh, and I think it's beneficial for us to not just um, receive a part of who God is, but all of God, all of who God is. Uh, and, and, and I'm just going to start off quite awkwardly uh, transitioning into my uh, opening here. And um, it's awkward because I was actually going to lie about the subject uh, that I was talking about. It's no joke. I was going to use myself as my subject. And uh, when I was talking to my wife about the opening, uh, she rebuked me and said, you cannot lie, Daryl. Uh, you're talking about me. And you're like, you're right, honey, I am. And so she's given me permission to use her as kind of like our case study as we open this uh, uh, sermon up. So, honey, I love you. Thank you. I think she's up with the children. Um, but I'll just start off like this, babe, when you listen to this, I love you. I, I, I just don't like driving with you. That's all. Um, but my wife is an aggressive driver. How many aggressive drivers do we have here uh, today? Come on, you can be honest, you know. And, and, let, and let me just kind of preface and kind of, you know, get to the heart of what I mean by aggressive. She's not going to yell at people, right? She's not out there, you know, slaying uh, vulgarities and, you know, giving people, uh, telling people they're number one with her hands. Um, <laughs> some of you got that. Others are just like, what is he talking about? Um, but she's an aggressive driver, and I would kind of term uh, that as being heavy-footed. I think that's the cr uh, correct terminology. Um, heavy-footed. Essentially, what it means is she likes to drive fast. She just likes to drive fast. I, I really don't get it. And I, I, and I couldn't even lie and kind of put myself in those shoes because I, she, she says I drive like an old man. I don't know if that's true. And if, oh, people, please, I, I'm not trying to offend. I am old myself. I know I may not look it. But I'm getting up there in age. And, and so she'll always just insult me. And she'll be like, you drive like an old person. And I'm like, you drive crazy. Like, I get sick when I drive with you. It's like, I feel like I'm in a plane, you know, you know, you know breaking all these G-forces and wanting to throw up or something. I don't, I don't even know if I even really explained that right. But she's a fast driver, actually. Two weeks ago, we were heading down to the beach to get some scallops with the boys and, and get some ice cream. And I was in the back because Benjamin... Um, 
he doesn't like driving, you know, and maybe it's my wife's driving. Maybe that's what it is. I don't, <laughs> it possibly could be, I don't know, but he can't talk. So we'll see. Um, but, but in order to keep Benjamin focused um, and, 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 and keep him from exploding and going off the rails and crying and everything, you got to get back there and you got to work hard at just keeping his attention. Right here, buddy, lock in, lock into my eyes. You know, you got to talk him down, talk him down. So I was in the back talking Benjamin down. But as we were driving, I, I was starting to get nauseous and, and I became that backstreet, backstreet, <laughs> backstreet boys, no, backseat driver and immediately asked my wife, Babe, will you please slow down? She's like, I, I, I'm only going 80. I'm like, it feels like you're going 105, honey. Can you just slow down? And so, funny story, but you know the one thing that aggressive drivers have in common? Uh, nothing seems to slow them down faster than when they see a cop on the side of the road. <laughs> that's, that's monitoring traffic. Am I right? Am I right? I'm right, right? I, and it's... it's I mean, it's, it's awkward, too. It's like it's not even subtle. It's not gradually, right? It's quick and abrupt. It's like, and, and then you feel them in the car. You're like, you're just clipping along, and all of a sudden, and, and you got to imagine what it looks like, you know, from, uh, from a cop's perspective. You're like, what are, you know, it's clearly, you've been caught, right, breaking the law. Now, let me just pose this question. You would think for all us aggressive drivers, for all of us, I'm not clumping. I'm a slow driver. My wife's already told me that. But you would think that the mere thought of cops being out there alone, right, trafficking and patrolling the highway, like, right, would keep people from breaking the speed limit. Am I right? I mean, you'd think that consciously, like, in, like as we're driving, even though we can't see them, you would just imagine surely in this 20-mile stretch of highway that I'm about ready to travel, there's got to be a cop somewhere on the side of the road patrolling. But it's funny that that does not stop aggressive drivers from driving aggressively. According to statistics, over 70% of all Americans across the nation break the speed limit quite frequently. Even offenders who get pulled over and ticketed. They, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a fad, I guess. Listen to this. New York City in 2019 um, gave out 600,000 speeding tickets uh, to its residents, and, and maybe some outside residents as well, are people as well. But and, and you think like in, in, a, in a city that's what, like over 800, or no, sorry, not 800, 8 million in population, that's not a very big number. But I think that's pretty uh, substantial, 600,000 speeding tickets. Of course, there is a problem in our country. Is there, is there mood music going on somewhere? Oh, Joe's playing for kids. That's awesome. I'm like thinking, I'm like, is there backing music to this? Is like, we're going to turn this into a real? Because if we are, it's the wrong music, man. <laughs> Irish poet, poet um, Oscar Wilde said this disobedience in the eyes of anyone who has read history is a man's original virtue. Now, I realize that the poet here is painting disobedience in a positive light, okay? He's, he's pointing out the progress that can be achieved when society disobeys unjust laws. But I think the same can be said about a society that disobeys just laws as well. Listen to Martin Luther King. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey 
unjust laws. Now, I imagine that we would all here hopefully agree, maybe some wouldn't, but we would agree for the most part, the majority of us, that God's law is just, right? Listen to Psalms 19, 8 through 10, if we can put it up on the overhead. Here's the psalmist saying this about the Lord's precepts and commands in his law. He said, the precepts of the Lord are right. It's pretty clear. They cause the heart to rejoice. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. So right there, we get a good glimpse of how the psalmist feels about God's commands, God's laws, they're just, they're right, they're true, they're good. And so by that, I would say these are laws that we have to follow, right? They're laws that are hard to follow. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But being that they're just and being that we are called to follow Christ, I would conclude that we have no other options but to follow God's just law. The fact is, though, All of human history is saturated with man's disobedience. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is brimming with story after story of creation's defiance, God. So yes, it would appear by that alone that disobedience is humanity's original virtue, but it's also humanity's original sin. Now, I think Paul susses this out a little bit for us in Romans chapter 3, uh, 9 through 10. And let me just put a little disclosure out there. This is not a happy cluster, you know, of text here, okay? You're, you're, you're probably not going to read this and feel all that good about yourself. I, I know that in 2000, you know, the idea of church is that we leave feeling good about ourselves, right? You know, that's kind of like the pervasive thought, like there's already enough, right? Bombarding us and trying to bring us down. Surely church has to build me up and say only good things about me, right? But Paul doesn't hear. Paul looks at the human condition essentially from top to bottom. And to be totally honest with you, Paul's observation of the human condition is anything but exciting. (laughs) It's it's anything but thrilling. It's downright uh, disappointing. And, and somewhat dis, uh, depressing. Listen to well-known Bible teacher and author, Warren Wisby, calls this passage an x-ray study of the lost sinner from head to foot. Now, if you could put the text on the screen, I'm going to read it. Uh, but please, don't get disappointed, because my intention is only to really uh, highlight one verse. But in order for that one verse to mean anything, we got to read the preceding verses. Okay, so don't, don't get disappointed. It's, it's, it's going to be all right. Because fortunately for us, all right, fortunately for us who are following Christ, all right, all things are hopeful and all things are redeemable. I got a couple amens. But it's true. I mean, we, we don't need to be discouraged. We have Jesus, Right? And through Christ and in Christ, all things are hopeful and all things are redeemable. That makes my heart rejoice. Here we go. Let's read the text. What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, 
are under sin. As it is written, here we go, none is righteous. No, not one. All right, there's no, there's no special person out there saying, oh, but that guy, you know, and Jesus is gone, you know, this is none. None then, none now, none ever, right? None are righteous. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Uh, no one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. I don't even know what that is. Thank you, Paul. Some snake, I guess, that you know, existed in ancient times. Uh, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, if that doesn't sound like America today. And their paths are a ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. The fear of God, this is the key verse that I want us to focus in on today. He says, the fear of God, I'm sorry, there is no, excuse me, fear of God before their eyes. Let's zero in on this text, all right? There is no fear of God. God before the rest. Personally, I think this is a great summary of Romans chapter 3. Uh, essentially, Paul um, concludes with, that, with this, that every attempt at breaking God's law, listen now, every attempt at breaking God's law, every act of rebellion against God transpires primarily when we've lacked or have lost a proper respect for God. Let me, let me say that again. Just in case, if you're like me and you have, you know, a struggle with sin. You're like me and you constantly uh, uh, break God's laws and, and you feel like Paul the Apostle who stands up and says, I am the chief of all sinners, <laughs> you know. Let me, let me just read that again because this is helpful and hopeful for us. Every attempt at breaking God's law, so every act of you and I that rebels against God, that breaks God's law, whatever it is, in our sexuality, with materialism, whatever it is, you just name your vice, you name it. Every attempt at breaking God's law, every act of rebellion against God transpires, transpires in believers because they've either lost or they lack a proper respect for God. This is what Paul's saying. Essentially, these people that he just rattled off on had lost that respect. They had lost the fear of the Lord as that's what the fear of the Lord essentially means. It means to revere, have reverence, and respect God. They had lost it. There was not before their eyes. It's not what they were seeing. Listen to what Matthew Henry says here, this commentary, this theologian. He says, where there's no fear of God, no good can be expected. That's amazing. It's staggering. And that really does highlight what Paul gets to here in this cluster of verses. What's my point? Well, I kind of just rattled off my point, but let me try a different angle. Let me put it to you this way. Apart from having a deep respect and genuine commitment to God, sin will dictate, and unfortunately in many cases, dominate our lives. The fear of the Lord provides preventative measures, right? We need to restrain our insatiable appetite 
for destructive behavior. I'm speaking to the church. I'm not speaking to those outside of the church. Man, you may have been wondering why for years you have struggled with the same besetting sin. And you're wondering, man, when am I going to get free from this? And may I just submit this to you? Maybe your concern shouldn't be with the when. Maybe your concern should be taking an overview, an overlook of your life, and, 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 and asking yourself hard questions like, Father, do I fear you the way I ought? Let me read that again. Apart from having a deep respect and a genuine commitment to God, sin will dictate, dictate, and in some cases dominate our lives. The fear of the Lord provides preventative measures we need, we need, the body of Christ needs. We don't, need to, we don't need to push this as some kind of Old Testament terminology and just people who, they just lived under the old covenant, we have Jesus. No. The Bible said, Isaiah the prophet said about Christ that he delighted himself in the fear of the Lord. John Calvin says this, the fear of the Lord is a bridle to restrain our wickedness. <laughs> it's pretty profound when you think about it. The fear of the Lord is a bridle to restrain our wickedness. So when it, it is lacking, we feel, believers feel at liberty to indulge in every kind of sin. It's almost like, I don't know. I won't even go there. That's, that's not funny. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I spent my life obsessing over these besetting things, I, 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 you know, this besetting sin that I, I just couldn't grasp. How could I be a believer and still struggle in this area and still fall in sin in this area? And, and it was almost like a distraction. I spent so long just focusing on the when will I get free. And I never really considered what was really lacking, what was really the problem. And that, for me, was the lack of really respecting and fearing the Lord. And so my hope, my, my kind of plea today is that maybe for some of us here today who is struggling and you're wondering like me, you know, some years ago, how could I be, you know, like, like a follower of Jesus, but also like giving into every carnal appetite of my flesh. Let me just submit to you. Ask yourself the hard questions. You know, don't get distracted by the besetting sin Start to focus on whether or not you deeply respect and fear the Lord. Now, in my previous sermon, just to make this understandable, you know, to make the fear of the Lord, because I, I you know, again, I, I don't want to add on and kind of re-speak what I've already spoken, uh, but um, I think this is important to just throw into the mix here so that it can provide some deeper understanding. Because honestly, when we, we, we hear about the fear of the Lord, it can kind of set us off. I know it does me. Like, how, like, how am I to love God and fear, the, and fear God? I mean, I, I talked about this in my first message. I, I tend to stay away from things I fear. Anybody, uh, you know, resonate with that? I don't, like, you know, I, I have no interest, you know. And, 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 but yet, these things kind of coexist. And I'm wondering, like, how do I grapple with this? But this was helpful defining the term a little bit more using Philippians 2.12. Let's first put this text on the screen. 
Here in Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work out others, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so when we break down those words, simply what Paul's saying is work out the details of your salvation with a reverent, sincere loyalty to God. Oh, that's, that's a little, that's refreshing. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, I want that. I, I want more sincerity. I, I want to have a, a deeper reverence for God. And I'm sure uh, many of us here do today. Um, but you know, one thing that is um, interesting here in this text, um, I don't know necessarily, and I didn't have time uh, to study it, uh, but I don't know what measure of this actual text is concerned that Paul has for the church of Philippi. Um, because as he, as he said here, um, my beloved children, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, much more in my absence. It almost feels like he might be a little bit concerned about how the church may act as he's not with them. Right? Any, any father, any parent here uh, can totally relate. Like when you send your child off, my son's now 13. I, I'm always concerned. When I send him off to a batch of friends, I'm like, I wonder if he is going to act the same way in my presence when he's in their presence. You know, because he, he's, you never know. My son is, you know, I love him. He's crazy. He's crazy. He is crazy. And I don't know what measure and what level uh, of this particular text is a concern that Paul has. Um, there's an actual uh, thing for this. It's called authority uh, figure effect. I didn't know. Uh, I was amazed by this. I did some research. I was like, man, this is the actual real thing. A group of scientists in 2019 researched the effects that the presence of an authority figure had on children and adults. Uh, they compared those results, right, to when they took the authority figure out of maybe a classroom or a, a setting where there was one. And they concluded that the absence of an authority figure tends to shift the behavior of human beings. <laughs> that makes sense, right? I mean, I, I, I could totally relate to like my 20s and teenage years. I'm like, once mom and dad were out of the room, like, kind of trouble can I get in, right? But uh, it's amazing that, that, uh, that these, these case studies, these people that they studied, um, went from being kind of civilized to, uh, the article says, savage-like. You know, I'm like, whoa, I mean, that may be a little dramatic. I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, if I snap back to when mom and dad were out of the room, uh, uh, you know, or, or left us on our own, yeah, I could definitely say I was a bit of a savage. You know, I, I did some weird uh, thing. And again, anyone with a teenager knows uh, that to be very true. Uh, just a couple examples of um, some of the studies that they did. Um, they, they, they put a group of students uh, in a classroom uh, with a substitute teacher. Anybody ever been there when you got a substitute and you're just like, oh, I am gonna, I am gonna, I'm just, this, this girl's never gonna want to substitute again, you know, like after she's done with me, you know. And, and, and they found that these kids, they acted unruly, like they really ran this teacher through the mill, you know, uh, and, and it was amazing. And then they also, interestingly uh, enough, and, and to the point uh, that I opened up with, 
uh, they discovered that people tend to drive a bit more responsible uh, when a cop was near or somewhat in the uh, proximity opposed to when there was no cop in sight. So this is where I land with this, and this is where we can land uh, today's sermon. Uh, If you would, imagine with me, just humor me for a moment, uh, and picture the fear of the Lord being like that authority figure that these um, scientists researched, right? And and, and this is what I, I, I imagine in my mind. I imagine the fear of the Lord is much like that authority figure in that it Um, causes me uh, to behave more godly uh, when it's present, when it's actually, like Paul said, before my eyes. Like, and and we gotta, we gotta work out some of the details there. What is, what is before my eyes? What does that look like? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's obvious, but I'm sure for many it's not. The point is, when we have a healthy respect for the Lord, we tend to, forgive me, sin, Less. We, we, sin is, is less appealing. We engage with, with sin differently when the fear of the Lord is present. Listen to what Tozer said. He said, when, a man, when men no longer fear God, they transgress his laws without hesitation. I would agree with this wholeheartedly. Isn't it amazing that the Lord has fully given us every resource needed to keep ourselves free from besetting sin. Now, hear me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But man, this gives me hope in that there is a way out, that, that, that the Lord isn't just going to give me more than I can handle. He, he's just not uh, made me to be a victim to sin in its power. But he's given me the fear of the Lord so that I could, in the presence of sin, respect God, revere God, have a genuine commitment to God's laws, God's ways, that sin can find no place in me. How many, how many want that for their life? We're, we're, we're like Jesus said, yeah, the devil came and he found no place in me. I want that. And I, I believe that as the months and the weeks and the years pass, I believe that personally, 43 years of age, that's what I'm stepping into. Sin is far less appealing to me than it, when it was uh, you know, back in my 20s. And I believe it's because I've kept the fear of the Lord before my eyes. Listen to the Psalmist David in Psalms 119.6. This is awesome. I love this because this gets right to the heart of what I'm trying to explain this morning. Here's the Psalmist. Then I shall not be put to shame. I mean, we know how sin, you know, can shame us, don't we? We know the shame, the, the shame that comes when we uh, uh, break God's commandments. But, but here the psalmist says, uh, then shall I not be put to shame, having my eyes, my eyes fixed on all your commandments. See the link there? You know, he didn't just have like this Holy like resolve, I'm not going to sin against you, God. No, he kept the commandments of God before his eyes. You know, in Massachusetts, it's said that um, every, I don't know if this is true, I actually looked at it driving in yesterday to the block party, that every quarter of a mile, 
there is a speed limit sign. Now, I, I think these, these are a little bit off, so don't hold me to this, but that's, that's quite a bit. Uh, my drive uh, to this place, the Dante, where we have church, is just about 38 miles. If I'm doing my math right, I possibly see just about 100 or over 100 uh, um, uh, uh, speeding signs as I come in. Now, I imagine I'm not paying attention, but uh, for you who drive aggressive, <laughs> and, and for this sermon, maybe that's kind of the link that we could use to connect what it looks like to having the fear of the Lord before our eyes. You know, like, there's a reason why uh, our state, if you look at the research, does that. There's a reason why there's so many uh, uh, speeding, uh, uh, speed limit signs out there. It's to gain our, engage our attention. Like, are we paying attention? You know, are, do, do we see that, you know, you're going 90 and you should be going 65? Uh, uh, you know, because uh, there's a lot of speed uh, limit signs telling you. you know, there's just something powerful in, in keeping God's commandments before us. And it's not just to labor over. There's something that is, that is powerful that takes place in our hearts, in our resolve to not give in to every temptation that comes our way. Father, I pray for this group of people, Lord, and um, Jesus, I ask, Lord, that um, as we um, bring this to a close, as we move on in the next couple of weeks into a new series, I pray, God, that, um, that the weeks spent discussing and looking at the scriptures and getting into the details, Lord. I pray, Lord, that nothing would be lost, Lord. I pray, God, that, um, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers, God. And I pray, Lord, that when it comes to uh, the fear of the Lord, that we would, as Paul encouraged the church in Philippi, Philipp, Philipp, oh, yeah, Philippians, Jesus, help me, Lord. That as he encouraged the church in Philippi to, to, to work out the details of their salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, that we would hear those words today resounding in our hearts. Oh, Lord, that we might work out our salvation, Lord. Not just with giddy excitement, God, not just with joy, although that's good, but with fear and trembling, God. Let us like the psalmist say that we have kept the commands of the Lord before our eyes so that we might not sin against you. God, help us like Jesus to delight in the fear of the Lord. Help us to rejoice and be happy and be glad for the Lord. And Jesus, I ask, Lord, if there's anyone lacking lacking a reverent heart, a sincere loyalty to God, I ask, Lord, that here, right in this moment, Lord, you would convict their heart, God, and that you would give them that precious gift of reverence. You would, you would give them that deep, sincere commitment and loyalty to God's ways, God's laws. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, let 
no one, Lord, escape from your power and your ways in Jesus' name. Now I imagine um, this hits and has hit everyone's ears differently. And I'm trusting the Lord with that, but one thing that I want to make sure happens, I want to make sure if there's anyone here, I'm not going to assume that everybody here is a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and you're already at a deficit if you're not. This conversation means nothing to you. If you're not. And hopefully if you are, this conversation means much to you. Hopefully you're just not yawning away the precious gift of God's fear. But man, if you're, if you're already, you know, far and off from God and, and, and you've come here maybe with a little bit of interest you're, you're curious and, and you're thinking man I, I would like to know more about this Jesus you're professing with every eye closed and I, I would really ask everybody to be respectful here from the soundboard onto the front of the stage with every eye closed if there is someone here and you would like to look deeper into the story of Christ and the gospel and salvation and look deeper into the details of what has even been presented here today. Man, just lift your hand, put your hands up to heaven. I would love to meet with you. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking. But if you're here today and you've come with a certain sense of curiosity and you want to look deeper into some of these things that we've talked about, just raise your hand up pressure, but man, be it far from me not to offer the greatest gift ever. One more time. We're not going to work this up. Every eye closed. Please respect that. I'm just asking. I, I don't care how you feel about it. I'm just asking that you would respect that because they're not making a decision before you. They're making a decision before God, but if there's anybody who today is at that tipping point and they want to, you want to know, you want to inquire more information, more details about the gospel. Just put your hand up. Secondly, we're going to open the altar. And man, I, I'm really adamant about this, man. Because so many Christians are suffering today under the weight and the heavy burden of their own sin. And, and listen, I know sometimes, you know, that word gets thrown around and it's like, oh, does he have to talk about sin? Well, yeah, we have to talk about sin. We have to. And, and, and I, I don't know, I just feel like there's a measure of freedom uh, that Christ wants to offer us today. Listen, take it from me. You do not have to labor under the weight of your sin. You do not have to be filled with shame and doubt and uncertainty. You can be freed from that. I'm not trying to drum it up. I'm speaking from experience, man. If you're here today and you just feel beat up by the devil, feel like his welcome mat. He just comes in and just wipes his feet all over you. You just feel like 
you're tossed to and fro. Man, if that's you here today, we would like to pray for you because God has far more, far more for you than to be a beat up doll for the devil. So we're gonna close this sermon down, service down, and we're gonna open this altar. There's gonna be some people that just wanna pray uh, for you and bring a little bit further the conversation that was started here today. And so if that's not you and you feel you know free and you're like, I'm good, man, stick around. Fellowship, we have this place to too, hang out connect with somebody, you know, talk it up, talk it up. But man, you're, if you're here in, in, in that altar call, that, that call to come and receive prayer resonates, this place is open. Church, we love you. God loves you. Be blessed. Have a great week. We hope to see you next Sunday. For those who are going to help me pray, please come up now. Uh, the altar is open. Friends, be blessed. Have a great day and a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. If the earth's where you meet us.